I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Row Studios, in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Mad Men in Blazers, David. Mad Men in Blazers, second half of Chelsea versus Atletico Madrid. Here comes Torres. Torres, but it could be. Although I think uh, I think Eto's injured. Bar's on the bench. Um, spiky first half, Rog, you'd have to say. But Chelsea holding their own against a team in red and white stripes, unlike this weekend. But you're only talking about the football to try and distract me from the thing that I cannot believe before my eyes in your office. What? What's in my this office? This is a television right? studio, what? but it looks like a brewery. You have the biggest pile of Guinnesses. I, is it plural Guinness eye? <laughs> I have ever seen. Yeah. Ever seen. In, in Manza, where did these come from? Uh, they were sent to us. I don't know exactly. Did to they us? come to us from the lovely people from Guinness, or did they come straight to Why? me? I have no idea. Well, I believe, Rog, it's because you were interviewed for an article in the New York Times, Rog, the newspaper of record, to explain <laughs> why Saka is taking off in the United States of America. And you said you should never underestimate the allure of daytime drinking. Here, here. If you're in a bar at 7 in the morning with a pint of Guinness, you've got a social problem. If you're in a bar at seven in the morning with that same pint of Guinness and Chelsea is on TV, you're a football fan. I, was I, thought, you were say, I thought you were going to say racist. Did you say racist? <laughs> no, I said if you're, if you're in a bar at seven yeah. o'clock in the morning with a Guinness and Chelsea's on the TV, you've got a social problem. <laughs> yeah. That's what I meant you've to say. You've still got a social problem. But let me get to the bottom of it. So yeah. I name-check Guinness yeah. in an article, mm-hmm. yet you get a stack of beer that is kind of like Chrysler Building Tool. What yeah, is so your I'm problem gonna, with that? That's the sort of thing that happens all the time with us, Rog. Oh, that is amazing. That sounded so good. I've, my one, I must admit, I already cracked open before we start. Oh, listen to that. It's like an ad. It's like a radio ad. I need, the, I need a panatella. I need a, uh, I need a cigar to oh, smoke that, with this. It's the breakfast of a true football fan. God, taste it. Tell me what you think. Oh, I'll tell you what it tastes like to me. You ever had a Guinness in Dublin? No, in Belfast, not in Dublin. Oh, I had the Guinness in Dublin, and it tasted like Dunnick the closest... County Down. You know Willy Wonka's Chocolate accurate. Factory? Yeah. Where they invent that chewing gum that is like a three-course meal. Yeah. And ends, I think, in blueberry pie. It uh-huh. does in violet. Yeah. Tastes just like that, David. Yeah, it's good. It is a meal in a cow. It also looks so good, Guinness. God, I, I didn't realise if I said stuff, stuff happens. Yeah. I need to mention... <laughs> if you say stuff, stuff happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I love. I need to mention that Dana Plato... Is resurrected. <laughs> wow. I need to mention Everton get fourth. I need to mention the USA get the 2018 World Cup relocated. I need to do useful stuff, David, but this tastes bloody good, i got to say. Um, so, Rog, we've got a... We lost a friend. We did lose a friend. And before we jump in, yeah. who do we lose? David Moyes. Oh, no, we lost Gabriella. <laughs> okay, we lost Gossip. <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah. How many books did Moisey write? Just one. <laughs> it was called Set Pieces for Manchester oh. We lost Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Oh, great friend of the pod. Great, great friend of the pod. Huge football fan. Bit of a writer as well. Mm-hmm. Better at the latter than the former. He better Mercedes once that Colombia would win the World Cup bad in 1994. Bet. Particularly bad bet. <laughs> and now beautiful. The Colombian World Cup team uh-huh. qualifying for this World Cup. They used a ball called the Golti that had yellow butterflies to reference the city in 100 years of solitude. The Guardian said that he painted a picture of a continent filled with immeasurable violence and pain that nourishes a source of insatiable creativity, full of sorrow and beauty. What does that remind you of, David? Don't know. The English Premier League. 
Yeah, we love the English Premier League. We do. We it's a beautiful, it. beautiful thing, Rod. We love it more and more. Yeah, without a doubt. Massive, massive show today, Rod. David Moyes is dead. <laughs> you wrote this. Sorry, I just read what you wrote. David Moyes is not dead. We don't want to announce that. That's a, it's interesting the way this story is developing. David Moyes, after 24 hours of dangling on the end, fired this morning, one presumes, by the chinless uh, Edward Woodward. <laughs> Um, uh, David, I'm terribly uncomfortable with that, but I have to, unfortunately, tell you that um, it just turns out that Get into this sack. the board um, Climb can't into actually... This sack. Um, what's happened is we have to it's be going to be dark very for a moment, decisions. dark and then very wet. difficult decisions. We have to actually, do not panic. Whatever you do, oh, very unlike the Nigel Adkins firing, I would say. We'll talk about that, Rod. Uh, ten months, Rod. Ten months. Uh, in charge, and he's finally gone. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go all Quincy MD on his still vaguely warm corpse, Rog, <laughs> a task in which we, well, Rog particularly, will take absolutely no pleasure in at all. No, we'll also all. try not to drop our jaw as Josie Outerdoor propels Sunderland to victory at Stamford Bridge. Yes, victory at Stamford Bridge, Rog. We're going to tend to your Ravens. We're going to welcome a role model for today's American youth, Landon Dallas. Everton's Landon American. Donovan. Soccer player. Oh, David. What a week. We're between 34-38, Rog, that reduces to 17-19, and 35-38, that does not reduce at all of the way through the Barclays Premier League season. If we were in a pub, there would be roughly 55 minutes left until closing time, Rog. Yeah. We'd all be ordering shorts with our beers right now. Probably a couple of Jaegers for the likes of you. But let me ask you this. How many surprises can there be in a season before they stop being surprised? We said there are going to be more twists and turns. This is not a twist and a turn. It's appetizers. This is an old-fashioned whacking, Rog. This is a a first-act vendor-punked. Happening right here, 35 38 of the way. Well, the, the, the one story I'll say about this week that we're not going to get to discuss, yeah, because of the Moisey, yeah, firing, yeah, was that the Daniel Taylor wrote a Guardian piece Sunday morning mm-hmm. where he said police have been called in to launch an investigation at one unnamed Premier League club that has become overrun by a culture of cocaine. Oh, Norwich, Wait, this is what I was saying in a season, Norwich, right? In a season of they surprises, call them cane Aries. In a, <laughs> In a season, you sound like kind of that joke my dad makes, the bad pun, the bad what? English pun. It's the kind of cocaine joke your dad makes. The, uh, <laughs> the, the only thing that's amazing about this story, they talked about how two mem- the final straw is two members of their board were found doing lines on an opposing team's boardroom table. Is it normally a blind item? You can normally guess which team it is. Are you David? presuming this is Manchester United? I'm not, David. You can't tell which. Who is the most caney team? In the oh, Premier League. What a great question. Fellaini Who is for, the most Fellaini for £27 million. Yeah. Kikeng. We oh. don't need a striker, say Chelsea. Or we only need Giroud to get us through this season, say uh-huh. Arsenal. Those, that's Kikeng talking. Well, Lamela, we Soldado. The Mikaeus is going to get us into the quadruple. Kaney. Yeah. But Lamela, Soldado, Kaney. Yeah. So I don't know. Everything about Hull is <laughs> Kaney. Pulis. He's not well, Kaney. No, he's, not Kaney. he's Methy. Yeah, he's <laughs> Methy. He's housing estate. <laughs> methy. If any GFOPs can get to the bottom of this. Oh, my God. Who is the most Kaney team in the Premier League? Brilliant question. Brilliant stuff, Rog. Um, so, 10 months in charge, Rog, for David Moyes. Season of failure brought to a premature end by the Glazers, who thanked the Glaswegian. Oh, bad time to beat Glaswegian in the Premier League for his hard work, honesty, and integrity. Ryan Giggs. Giggsy is the interim manager, Rog. Uh, how do you feel? Lots of action 
uh, on the Twitter. Lots of ravens from GFOPs. Here's just one from Windy Megatons. Wants to know, at Roger Bennett, so what's it like? Dad leaves family for 24-year-old yoga instructor who dumps him after six months. Is that what it's like? <laughs> well, thank God I wouldn't know. Judge Ivor never went that way. But I will say, yeah, this does feel personal, David. David Moyes being one of my former lovers. Uh, I did adore him. There was a time when I thought he was a tenacious man of value. Um, that time dissipated incredibly quickly when he came right back to Everton and tried to prize away Fellaini and Baines and lectured the club that they need to do the right thing for the player. I also thought Everton would absolutely implode, like Charlton, post-Alan Kerbishley. Um, and I also said that United would work under Moyes if he displayed a steep learning curve. There was no kind of learning curve. But when he became this hypocrite in the United kind of bully pulpit, I never got over that. But I do, David, trying to think about this, I separate what's happened to United, which I will admit, watching the donor organ be rejected by the host body has been immensely enjoyable. They're slump into mid-table mediocrity. But first, on a personal level, I do feel sorry for him, David. Watching him on that bench against Everton with the Grim Reaper, a very shabby Grim Reaper standing behind him and his kind of depressed assistant with that big binder saying, set plays Manchester United, trying to pretend that they knew what was going on. I mean, surrounded by people who once loved him, who now clearly, clearly hated him. All of his work in, the, in, the, in, the, in Cersei, Tyrion's relationship in Game of Thrones, all of the happiness has turned to ashes in his mouth. I did feel sorry for him, Dave. You know people who've worked for 10 years so hard for that big chance. And got the job that they always wanted. And then failed spectacularly with everyone watching week after week and be dumped like a stray dog in a sack and thrown into the river. I think I would feel more sympathy. And it's very true. Look, I don't take any pleasure in this at all. I want to see Manchester United as an English football fan. I want to see Manchester United play great football. Uh, Grew up watching Manchester United play great football. I cheered for them um, in Europe. You know, pretty much every season. Loved so many of their players. Um, And it's tough to watch them play, and we'll get to the Everton game, but watching Manchester United play like that, it's just not natural. It's not right. It's not what the order of things uh, should be. But at a certain point with David Moyes, I have two observations. Is One, he actually stopped doing the thing that made him special as a manager. And I didn't always like it, but he stood in the technical area. What, the bulbous eye thing? Well, no, but he the Rango thing. No, he technically always was all over every single player at every single moment. And he stopped doing that at Manchester United. For me, it was quite remarkable that he started sitting in the dugout and he stopped standing in the technical area pretty much as Manchester United manager. Stopped doing what had got him there. And secondly, at a certain point, he looked in a mirror when he was offered this job, when he knew he was in contention for it. And he looked in the mirror and he said, David Moyes, you're good enough. You can do this. You can, you can do it. I believe in you. And he wasn't good enough. He was the one that made the choice. He knew or should have known that this was a step up in class. And at the point that you go and do it in a business where you fail the vast majority of the team, only one team wins the Premier League, only four teams make it into Europe, and um, uh, you know you win the Champions League once every 10 years. It's a, it's a failure business. He knew what he was getting into. He was paid millions to go and do that. And one assumes that he's been paid off millions at the end of his contract right now. That's the reason he's not going to go anywhere else, is he's being paid so much he won't want to go anywhere else. Well, I mean, where he goes is going to be interesting. We'll discuss. I, I, I just watching this team. They won the Premier League by 11 points. Yeah. They just morphed into a big game whipping boy. Manchester City battered them twice. Everton trumped them. Liverpool embarrassed them. 
And there was all that history making of the wrong kind. Newcastle, who hadn't won at Old Trafford since 1972. Swansea, since God created the world. Swansea since God created Swansea. Yeah. yeah the, the world, world. Yeah. including Swansea. And man and woman, and it yeah. was good. Yeah. Stoke, they hadn't beaten United since 84. West Brom since Sarah, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just mid-table madness. Worst campaign for quarter of a century. And we, we, we can all finger the, 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 the moments we saw it, the coaching clear-out. You talk about that. Yeah. Bringing in his own brain trust who were helplessly out of their depth. The woeful transfer market adventure. When Sir Alex Ferguson is talking uh, executive transition, continuity... Harvard's um, Alex Ferguson. Yeah, Harvard's Alex Ferguson is teaching this in his executive he, education I think he's course. teaching crisis management now. Business transition. He's going to talk about you. The last thing you do is clear everybody out. And you've got to keep some of the people around who knew what made them great. It's not like Manchester United failed. He cleared them all out, brought in his own people. That was he mistake did beat his own people. One. Fellaini, the albatross around his neck. I wish yeah. United, why didn't you make him player manager? Why gigs? There was no identity on the field that was coherent. There was all the friction with gigs and RVP, the locker room leaks. Um, we'll say, you mentioned, you mentioned Sir Alex. Plenty of guilty parties, Davey. Uh, you know, Adrian Edward Durham, Wood. Adrian Durham wrote an article today in the Daily Mail saying that Sir Alex Ferguson owes an apology to David Moyes and to the fans for, number one, for selecting David Moyes to David Moyes, and then for asking, telling them that it was their job to stand by your manager. It was their Come job. So the second that, that they're asking for him to be gone... Play like Fergie's boys. We got Mourinho. They, uh, that they were not doing their job somehow to want him gone. And he... he that is... Edward Woodward, another one, the lobbyist executive vice chairman. Edward, I blame Simply um, Red's Mick up all day, But to me... David, um, <laughs> we, um, but difficult we t- conversation, um... I was going to ask you, how do you think the firing went there? Because I imagine... It was hesitant. You, you can imagine... Well, you can imagine Moyes drunk on his own power, cutting into a pigeon pie with yeah. a valerian steel, swigging wine from the chalice. Yeah. Or maybe walking into the diner. Don't stop believing pops on the jukebox. In walks Fergie. Yeah. Then everything just goes dark. You don't see it like that, do you? Well, they left him. This was very un-Manchester United-like. They left him dangling for 24 hours after the Everton fans are singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. The next day, Monday morning, all the papers broke with they had it out of the boardroom that, that Moyes was gone. It took another 24 hours for them to officially fire him. This was not the way that Manchester United typically does things. I doubt that it was handled cleanly, quickly, you know, straight to the face. I'm sure Moyes heard about it from somebody else before he was actually told by Edward Woodward. Um, you know, I have a rule. When I fire people, Rog, and I don't want Alex to look too scared because there may or may not have been a version of this podcast recorded that may or may not have been lost on some form of card or tape or some kind Corrupted of device. File. Corrupted file. I don't, wanna, I don't want Alex to be worried about this, but I have a rule. See that red chair that all the Guinness is on? Yep. Is that if I'm going to fire someone, I fire you. When you walk through that door, before your ass hits the chair, I fire you. You can see not exactly where I that enjoy. is, David. There's no, blood on the carpet. I don't, like enjoy. And Goodfellas. I just don't enjoy. Nobody should enjoy firing people, but I just feel like there's that awful, awkward moment when you're having a small talk conversation before you fire someone. You've got to tell them they're fired, and by the time they sit down, you talk about why they're fired. Uh, at Mayfair Jollies tweeted, at Men and Blazers, I think the firing was Godfather 2. Moyes yeah. was in the boat, Hail Mary full of grace. Fergie, sitting lakeside, turns away mm-hmm. as the gun fires. Um, I will say, to me, the, the indelible image of Moyes this season, mm-hmm. he reminds me of my brother-in-law, Nick. We wrote a book, Bar Mitzvah Disco. 
And Nick had One a photo of, of himself. You're a lovely man. He, Nick had a photo of himself aged 13. He was light years away from puberty. He was forced to wear a three-piece suit. In the photo, he was alone on the dance floor, a packed dance floor full of revelry and happiness. He was completely alone in the middle. Huge spectacles. Everyone else is happy. He's totally lost and alone. And he said, everyone kept telling him he was a man, but inside he felt the worry of a tiny child dressed as a failing accountant. And every time I see Moyes or saw him in his tailored Manchester United blazer that they made him wear, he looked like a worried little boy playing out the role of being a major brand manager. And, that, and that's what the problem was, mm. Davo. We had all this stuff. Gary Neville, give him time. The Manchester United way. Fergie finished 13th in his first season. Uh-huh. But Fergie didn't manage a brand, a global brand, with millions thrown at it by Chevrolet. traded company. Mr. Potato, the official snack partner. Mm-hmm. You don't have time in that situation. What does he do now, Davo? What does he do now, Moyes? Well, I mean, number one, it's going to be very difficult for him to take other work because I assume he can't collect the rest of the money on his Manchester United contract if he takes other work. I don't think he's finished as a manager. I think he was a very good manager at Everton. And I think there are a lot of teams who need a manager like that, whether they're at the top of the championship, whether they're at the... Um, uh, top of the Premier League, he could manage the Scottish national team. There are lots of there are lots of jobs that might <laughs> suit that guy. I mean, I see that he's got a huge scarlet letter. I see him being like a Mitch Williams. I see him being like a Bill Buckner. A bit of a, a joke, not just to fans but to players, gaining their respect again. I, I do. I, th- I see him more, Davo. I mean, Steve McLaren, post England failure, could barely get a job. And I do. I, I, I oh, think, that was because of the umbrella in I the rain. It, well, it's unforgivable. He's got his little his Manchester United set pieces photo of him yeah. with the Grim Reaper standing behind him. What a I, think, I think a championship. Who will replace him? That's the big question. Who knows? Pep Guardiola has been approached, according to the normally quiet yeah, he's stiff said Daily no. Telegraph. Jurgen Klopp already said nine. And Louis van Gaal, the Dutch coach who managed Ajax, Barca, Bayern, right now the Netherlands coach, a wonderfully bonkers gent who once said, I cry almost every day. There's always something that touches me. God, I'd love, I'd love him to be the next. Well, of course, they'll hire Louis van Gaal, then the Dutch will go to the World Cup and not do very well. Um, I'm not saying that's a prediction, although there are questions about the Dutch legitimately, but Many. It's, a, it's a crazy thing to do to hire, to hire someone before they go to the World Cup. The story that I no- don't know. I mean, the thing that nobody's talking about is the players, Rog. I mean, really, the players, it's not just Moyes. The players have got to stand up and be counted here. These are, guys, these are players who won the Premier League last season. Actually, the emergence of one of the best young players in the Premier League Advent. is Janice, is Advent, yep. Janice this year. Um, and my God, what just terrible performances. You know, I know that, you know, it's barely an example I can bring up on this podcast, but John Terry... In similar age to Rio Ferdinand, similar background as a, you know, one of the centre-backs of his, of, his, of his generation in England. Were you going to say love him or hate him? Well, I'm not even going to bother saying hate him or hate him. him. <laughs> it's like hate him, loathe him, or completely detest him. <laughs> he has had one of his best seasons in a Chelsea shirt. He's a, and, you know, Mourinho has brought out the best in him. Meanwhile, Ferdinand's performances for Manchester United this season. Look at Michael Carrick. You look at Wayne Rooney. You look at these guys. Vidic, Everett. Oh, my God. Just go through the team. Nanny. Just go through this team and look at the performances. And they've really got to ask themselves to have the pride. You know what the fans want? Manchester United fans are very proud people. And they want people to fight. They want them to bleed for that Manchester United shirt. And I think that ultimately they're going to sit back and they're not going to blame it all on Moyes. I think they are going to look at the players and say, do you know what? Where were you? Why Fellaini should be. We are going to learn. With Giggsy as the manager now, we are going to learn who's been popular. We're going to learn a lot about who's been popular at Man United (laughs) all along.
It's going to be very interesting. Well, It'll be very interesting to see if Darren Fletcher starts. You're talking about stories no one's talking about that everyone should be talking about. Yeah. And I think the firing of Moisey, mm-hmm. maybe 700 years after the Battle of Bannockburn, 1314. Yeah. Englishman may finally, Dave, this may be a little exaggerated, <laughs> but may finally be getting over their fear of all Scottish men. Oh, especially Glaswegians. Here's There's the only fear. one left. Here's the fear. Paul Lambert. Yeah. Hanging on like a loose tooth. Here's the fear the Englishmen naturally have for Glaswegians finally wearing off, David. Yeah, well, I do think that there's some of that, um, uh, some of that afterglow of Sir Alex Ferguson with all those other Scottish managers. I don't think you're going to see a lot of Scottish managers. I think right now people are scouring Northern Ireland to find another Brendan <laughs> Rodgers. I think that's, uh, that's, the, that's the much bigger get right now. Um, we should talk about the game, Rog. Everton yeah. to Man United nil. Everton dominated, beyond dominated, on the counter and everywhere else to do their first double against Manchester United since the Reformation, Rog. <sighs> Moyes lost to his former... Love the Reformation. Moyes uh, lost to his former club was perhaps his lowest of lowy, lowy, low, 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 low. How fitting it was, Dave, to be fired after the return to Everton. It was all a bit Return of the Jedi. Yeah. David Moyes, Luke, help me take this mask <laughs> off. Roberto Martinez... But you'll die. Moyes, nothing could stop that now. <laughs> Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. I'd like to say, I never doubted this result, David. I'd like to say that after the fact. Even when never you wrote not in the face before the game. I was worried before the game. Yeah. I was. I couldn't sleep. It all felt dirty, sordid, almost patricidal. You, three generations of Bennett's watching this game together. Judge Iver, yeah. over here for 10 days. Yeah. My son's. Me. It's been an Everton fan since the Reformation. Yeah, it was... Um, I mean, it was. It was weird watching Moyes come back on that field. It was like seeing a dad he had a long and a bit contorted relationship coming home. Uh-huh. Like as if that dad was a, Sean Kemp, a bit Sean Kemp and a bit Woody <laughs> Allen. And there was Moisey. It was dark. It was very, very dark. Um, and it was dark afterwards seeing him talk about 61% possession. We controlled the game. The truth is... They never really hurt Everton United. John Stones was like a giant, the true Johnny oh, football. What a performer from him. I didn't even know he was a centre-back, Roger. McCarthy, the Scottish Michael Bradley was bionic, powering everything that was good about Everton. But United, they were so unbalanced. They looked about as up for a fight. As, uh, like, like, it was like watching George Washington's troops at Valley Forge, or how I imagine them. Everton just charged down that right. Oh, Alexander Butler Coleman. exposed. Yeah, acres and acres and acres of space, David. You know, for years we've been saying to Manchester, Manchester United, they've got to, you know, replace Roy Keane. They've got to have find that aggressive central midfielder. Let's look at the centre of Everton's midfield. Barkley, Barry, McCarthy. That is the Manchester United midfield. Um, <laughs> phenomenal. Grit and steel in the centre, going back, going forward, tackling, head, like everything. Every part of the body, Rog, every part of the body used by all three players to go and gain an advantage. Coleman and Bainesy. Bainesy back in form, Rog, just in time for the World Cup. And just in time for um, that penalty. Yeah, yeah fantastic. I mean, he's a big bottom small, by the way. I hadn't noticed. He's a stealth big bottom small. He's got an engine room. He has junk in the trunk. He's, in, he's got an engine room. But yeah. his opening goal, it was a massive relief. Phil Jones lay on the floor. He went all Robert Kappa, Lots falling of soldier. fell over this weekend. Uh, fitting that it was Baines. Poetic, Dave. This was the man who Moyes tried to prize away from Everton, declaring the club need to do what's right for the player. And what's right for the player was to nail the 13th penalty in a run for him. Everton's first penalty, Dave, against United in 42 
years. Wow, since the Reformation. Yes, pretty much. Since my dad was in the prime of his life. <laughs> young, and since he was in the fifth volume of his autobiography. Um, young guy for Bennett. But United, you look at them. No intention, no syncopation. Kagawa uh, flitted in and out. Matter seemed like a celebrity lookalike who was playing Matter. I thought Nanny looked great if you're a USA fan worried about the Portugal game in Manaus. Yeah. No, the Manchester United players barely showed up. I thought Matter was actually quite good, Matter and Kagawa, in that game. I just think that I've never seen in all of my life watching United a more kind of lackluster. United would not have been more lackluster if Moyes had fielded Corey Hayne in left back, Corey Feldman in the centre, and Kirsty Alley up front. They probably would have got well, we'll more. We'll see what Giggs does this weekend, Roger. We will. They've already had 10 defeats in 22 games in all competitions since 2014. Uh-huh. I predict they'll add to it. At Tom Dart, a great tweet, Dave. About 40% of the world's population were not born the last time Man United finished outside of England's top three. Mind yeah. blown. It is really, really mind-blowing stuff, Rog. But was it all for naught? You're going to tell me Everton can close that gap? Everton are one point behind Arsenal. But how do you beat Arsenal? Place. How do you beat United and then sandwich in a defeat to Palace? That's, you do it because Pulis, you're Everton. This is Tony Pulis's Premier League. Palace have, since the close of the transfer window, been one of the best teams in the Premier League, Rog. They've been absolutely fantastic. Oh, John Terry looks like he's going off against Atletico Madrid. That will bring you absolutely no pleasure, Rog. Um, they're defending. <laughs> Let's just say that Chelsea are defending a lot in the second half against, uh, against Atletico Madrid. It is. By the way, how do they lose to Crystal Palace? They lose to Crystal Palace while beating United and Arsenal either side of it. Yeah. Because those are the Everton rules. Uh, it's also Chelsea-like. One would just to just say, like there's horror movie rules, David. Yeah. Don't copulate in a public love spot late uh-huh. at night. Everton always slip up when everything good is about to occur to them. But let's just enjoy this You're day. in Europa League place <sighs> right now, Rog. It's good news. I think it'll be a good tournament for you. Martinez needs more Europa Pat League experience. Pat on the experience. head, little boy. You're one point behind. No, forget about the Pat, Rog. You're one point behind Arsenal. You're ahead on goal difference. There are three games left to go for each team. Do you know what? Winning, Rog. Believe in your team. Be positive. Yep. All I'll say is, it was a great weekend. A great day for Everton. Yep. Great day for the city of Liverpool. It felt like the mid-80s, David. What was the capital of football in England in the mid-80s? Liverpool. That's what it felt like again. Everton did the double live. United. Everton never played like this, For the though, first Rush. time since 1969-70. The first time in my lifetime we did the double again. This is the gents. most exciting football that Everton Football Club have ever played. A nice That's segue. Let's playing. talk about slightly less exciting football, David. Oh, let me see what we're talking about. Oh, Chelsea won. Sunderland <laughs> 2. What a joy. What a delight. Meanwhile, I'm watching us hold Atletico Madrid, one of the best teams in Europe, also in red and white stripes. And yet, against Sunderland, my God, shocked again. Who saw this coming? This time to cellar-dwelling Sunderland, bottom of the league, courtesy of a controversial... Well, it wasn't controversial, Rog. Josie Outerdoor won penalty. He tripped, he it tripped was not, on Dave. It, Dave fouled him. What? Dave slipped over and did a stu- pathetic challenge, terrible challenge. Uh, this was the incandescent Jose Mourinho's first Premier League loss at Stamford Bridge in 78 games. An amazing record, Rog. Finally, they lost a team without, quote, a real striker, but they yeah. were undone by a former Chelsea youth striker, yeah. Fabio Barini, now a Liverpool loanee, and manager Gus Poyet. A Chelsea icon. Yeah. Identity-wise, narrative-wise, Davo, this must have done your head in. Yeah. Um, Gus Poyet, I mean, a Chelsea legend, a very popular player at Chelsea. Uh, a very popular player at Chelsea still. Top one of five my for Davo, right? Yeah, one of my favourites ever. Um, and you know what? Hats off to Sunderland. Hats off 
to the Premier League. At the end of the season, these teams fighting uh, to avoid relegation come out and they... Sunderland title deciders and relegated probably. Yeah, without a doubt. Barini in that sleeper agent role for Liverpool. Um, another player who I just, I'm surprised has not done better in the Premier League. He's, he's had injuries, he's had, he's had problems. He a never, great finisher, he never great recovered skill, great from speed. what was critics called a deeply wooden performance in being Liverpool. It, opposite Dr. Iqbal. It was very, <laughs> but it's, when, you, when, you're, when you're acting with a giant, it's sometimes very, very difficult. Did, very, you, very did you see this coming? Dr. Iqbal is like the Helen Mirren of being Do Liverpool. Know, I've watched too many games this year, even last weekend against Swansea. Chelsea just find it very difficult to get it up to play but against they the start teams. They started Resba, who opened the scoring. Plus, we don't have, even though we've got a huge squad, Chelsea don't play many players in their squad. We honestly play the same people again and again and again. And I've got to tell you, I know everybody will tell me that Ramirez is amazing and Azpilicueta is phenomenal. They're some of the best players playing in Europe. Actually, I think again and again in this season, they don't offer any threat going forward. Chelsea have a lot of players who offer no threat going forward. We conspire. I know Arsenal fans believe that Arsenal are in a class of their own here. But Chelsea conspire to turn goal-scoring opportunity after goal-scoring opportunity into absolutely null point. Null so shots on goal. It just never It was, it was blown happens. counters, controversial clearing out of Ramirez in front of an open goal by Larsons, corner after corner, ten of them, without really threat, movement, intention, any of that stuff. And Connor Wickham did the business. White Josie. Uh, Mark Schwartz just spooned it right up the middle towards him. Three goals in four games for the man whom Paolo Di Canio so sagely suggested was a playboy model who, quote, needed a slap in the face. So Chelsea did have the chances, Davo. But what shocked me in this game was you swap out a virus-driven Peter Cech. You pop in Mark Schwartzer. Yeah. And just across that defensive line, there was uncertainty that just spread through the back line faster than dysentery in, in, in a trench at Ypres. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the, and that's Chelsea's defence that's helped them again and again. But they were desperate. They were going for it. They, you know, the set pieces, well after it was 1-1, Chelsea were just going for it. And they just had nothing really against Sunderland. Chelsea, 1-1 at home, going into halftime, should be able to come out in the second half and dominate and go and play, as they have done in seasons of yore. But this season, Chelsea have played brilliantly against the good teams, badly in that way they're Everton, but they've never shown that explosiveness or speed or beauty of football. Explosiveness, speed, yeah. beauty of football. You're talking... Josie Antidor. The Easter Resurrection. Even okay. more surprising than the original one. Yeah. yeah. Josie. Oh, boy. He swooped in like a peregrine falcon. America said, is that really Josie? <laughs> but he saved all we might be of his reading, energy. We might be reading a little bit too no, much no, into that saved, one moment. No, okay, but he saved all of his energy for this all season. He saved yeah. everything, Davo, for that one moment when he was going to step on Dave. You, d- you just can't contain a player of his ethereal beauty, Davo. Dare to Josie. He exerted himself just enough to probably win the title for Liverpool and then shut down again. He's going to use the rest of his energy to win the World Cup for the USA. But it was Barini, Liverpool's loanee. You mentioned undercover Barini. Where do you place him, Davo, in that same pantheon of undercover agents? Aldrich Ames, Mata Harry, Jason Bourne, George Smiley, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. The more identities a man has, the more they express the person they conceal. Chelsea. Well, he's behind Dr. Iqbal, I'm afraid. (laughs) Still for me. You thought, yeah. You thought that Chelsea was so clever loaning out Lukaku to hurt your rivals. Yeah, that I did. Same I strategy has come back to. Yeah, no, Barini definitely uh, raised at uh, raised at Chelsea. Um, 
or certainly a place where he spent some time as a young man. And Liverpool have done it very effectively with him at, at Sunderland. But ultimately, even if Chelsea had won this game, are Chelsea a good enough team, honestly, to win the Premier League this season? Well, they are. They are not good enough. They might be good enough, by the way, to win the Champions League this season. They are not good enough to win the Premier League. 13 games against the top eight. The right team. Okay, yes, they've had an amazing record against the top eight. Won nine, drawn three, lost just once at a very superior Everton. Amazing. But you've lost, you've said it, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, now Sunderland. And that, that, that's, I mean, no, this is a team that got the double against Man City, could end up with the double against Liverpool and end up still not winning the Premier League this season. They are good against the good teams, very poor against everybody else on the whole. I, mean, I can't think of a great performance this season against the team who weren't good. And, uh, and ultimately, they might be good enough to win the Champions League, Rog, but not the Carlin Cup. <laughs> they might be big enough to win, beat Liverpool on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I think they might be. I think they'll pose some problems. Look, let's face it, Liverpool... You know, and we're going we're, we're gonna to get to this. Liverpool won again, but Liverpool had some problems against Norwich. Liverpool's defence is not the strongest in the Premier League. This is a team that can get better next year by upgrading defensively. I'm not talking about Martin Skirtle. I'm not talking about Flanagan's mole. But there are some other things that this team can do to become a better defensive team. But anyway, Chelsea are going to finish where they deserve second or third this season in the Premier League. And I'm not giving the title right now because Man City could still win it if Chelsea beat Liverpool. But um, they're going to finish behind a deserving, a more deserving team. Norwich 2, Liverpool 3, Rog. What can stop this cosmic team of <laughs> destiny? Norwich tried, Rog. But two goals and one assist from an unfazed Raheem Sterling gave Brendan Rodgers' squad their 11th straight win and a five-point lead at the top of the table. Amazing stuff. And you feel like the whole of England, and I include myself in this, we're all rooting for Liverpool. Not just Liverpool. We're rooting for St. Stevie G, David. Yeah, St. Stephen of Gerrard. He's up there with Churchill, Horatio Nelson, Nigella Lawson, and Scott of the Antarctic. He's right there. We've just canonised this bloke. Yeah. Local hero, made good. In the winter of his career, he's 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 uh, he's Roy the Rovers, Rog. He is captain of Liverpool, he's, his boyhood team, captain of England. Oh God! If, if Roy the Rovers had a baby fire. with Billy's boots, yeah, exactly. Billy Dane. Oh, uh, that'd be good stuff. I mean, this is a fascinating game. First game without Henderson in 2013-14. Daniel yeah. Sturridge sidelined. Yeah. But that love train, that Brendan Rodgers love train, it wouldn't be derailed, David. Yeah. With the pressure, didn't seem to get to them. The emotional exhaustion we all predicted wouldn't kick in. There was to be no Sunderland moment. Four minutes in, oh, upsets Raheem. Norwich give him so much room between the lines, exactly where Liverpool like to exploit. And Raheem Sterling, David. Just what a player. I mean, also, let's face it. He was a, remember when Raheem Sterling was a winger? He is now a full-on. He's a number 10. He's a full-on, like, if he's not scoring, he's assisting amazing goals, Rog. He plays centrally. He has speed. There aren't many young players in the world. You know, he's what, That's 12, what Brendan Rodgers said after him. There are not many young Pre-bar players in the world. 12 or 13, Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers said, name a young European player who's better than Raheem Name Sterling. a smaller player in the world, young, under the age of 20, who's Julian better Green. than Raheem Julian Sterling. Julian Green. So, uh, Julian Green. He's a trout, Rodgers. So, the, uh, <laughs> he scored. He said, Daniel Sturridge who? He ran to celebrate with white teeth, Brendan. Just like AVB told him to. GFOP John Green tweeted, Let's face it, Sterling ran to Rogers to avoid being skirtled. It works, it works. Run oh, you to can't your daddy. skirtle Raheem Sterling. You'd kill him. <laughs> You'd, You'd crush kill him. him. You'd, You'd crush him. him. You'd crush him. I mean, as an England fan, you talked earlier about what American fans are thinking watching Josie Altador win that penalty. 
It's a, just imagine as an England fan, Rog, just imagine what it's like to be an England fan for a second, Rog. But just imagine what it feels like for me watching, <laughs> watching Raheem Sterling. By the way, I felt the same thing watching Barkley playing. But watching Raheem Sterling in that kind of performance for England, we're looking at the emergence of a new set of young players for this England team. I think it's very exciting, Rog. Yeah, I mean, I'll indulge in that question in a second, because I did think about it when he turned creator a couple of minutes later, set yeah. up Suarez for that delicious ball, a statistic-producing Suarez, 87 minutes per goal, uh-huh. seventh player with 30 goals in a Premier League season, just one shy of the season-scoring record. But it was the ball for Rahi. I mean, we've all seen Roger Sterling skirtle three in a bed on Mad Men in the, in the season opener. <laughs> to me, what Raheem did in this game was even more impressive, David. Uh-huh. I mean, after 10 minutes of this game, you kind of imagined that all Steven Gerrard had to think about for the rest of the game was what stirring images he wanted to use for his next rousing post-match speech. I mean, Martin Skirtle's shorts looked as if they were positively thro- uh, throbbing. But you're right, Norwich made a fist of it. Liverpool, they are as much as I like Marilyn Monroe going forward. They are a little bit Arthur Miller at the back. And they went at them. That cage at TOC wrote to us. He said, this is exilla horrifying watching Liverpool. Exilla horrifying. Yeah, That's good. beautiful word. Exilla horrifying. Exilla horrifying. But then Raheem Sterling scored his second. I was on the phone with my mate Jamie when he went in. To, uh, and he said to me, he answered your question. As that third one kind of bounced off the floor and went in over the straining goalkeeper's hands, I didn't even ask him it, but he just goes, you do know that as soon as Raheem Sterling pulls on an England jersey, it'll all go to crap. That's, I hate that kind of talk. You cannot beat speed, Rog. This is what Michael Owen was in the 1998 World Cup. We've got a player in incredible form, an electric player of an electric speed who's going to terrify defenders. He is an athlete. We're going to win it all. the same as Michael Owen. It's no, we're not going to win Liverpool it all. There's going to be five team. Liverpool players in this your starting England, England team, World Cup team. Yes, are going to all play for Liverpool. And by the way, you could field a team of Liverpool and Southampton players with a couple of defenders with, uh, with Cahill and Jags thrown in. And you've got a very, very good England outfit except for John Martin Cole. But you've got a... It's, a, um, it's an exciting time to be an England fan. They're not going to win it all, but this is a very, very good young team. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the Euros in 2016, Roger. I say, well, I, we'll get to the World Cup when we get to the World Cup. How startling in this era of kind of economics-dominated football is what Liverpool have achieved. They've got Chelsea and City stumbling in transition. Almost 20 years of good luck all in one season, Dave. United in collapse and disarray. You talked about cosmic forces, but how far behind can conquest, war, famine, and apocalypse in the Valley of Death? You know, it's really amazing. Be? I was just remembering when you said that about look, so why have why have Liverpool done so well with less resources this season? And I remember listening to on the radio, like on Talk Sport, which they play on Sirius XM FC ninety four. Remember listening to Brendan Rodgers being interviewed on the radio in July, mid July, when you felt like every other manager was on their holes, like in the Costa del Sol. You know, in sort of in Miami, in Las Vegas. In Dubai. And meanwhile, Brendan Rodgers was at his desk working hard in mid-July, putting together his team, you know, um, uh, for, the, for, the, for the next season. The way he handled the Suarez thing, the way he handled the incoming players, it's not like he used the January transfer window to get a lot better. He just had a system and he felt like he got his work done earlier than everybody else. Mignolet, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant signing for that team and you know didn't spend a lot of money he's brought on so many good young players the performances you know we've said it so often the performance he's getting out of 
Henderson, the performance he's getting out of Sterling, the performance he's getting out of Sturridge. Brilliant, brilliant. A- Allen when he's stuff. needed. Yes, absolutely. I mean, super sub. Allen is the super sub. I mean, it may be that this title race, that we didn't know what was going on. It may Skirtle, be Skirtle, most improved player in football. The most feared striker in the English Premier League. Yeah. The confetti cannons, Davo, may have shot their load without us noticing this weekend. But I, th- I believe there's going to be possibly an end of season, last day of the title race kind of change in narrative that will make the QPR loss to Manchester City look like a really? predictable... Really? You do think yeah. that? Well, Palace are going to win it all. Twelve, I feel like... I keep twelve, on checking my table gonna to do see your Palace idea. can win it. Twelve, we're going to do your idea. Oh, we're the doing... The Men in Blazers pub takeover. Oh, we're doing a pub takeover, May 11th. Yeah, are we officially announcing this? Are there ways for people who can get tickets yet? We're going to put tickets up. They're going to be free. Yeah. As a thank you. Yeah, to so, all of you. So we're doing a pub takeover. It's about, what, 200, 250 people? Steve's idea of this. Yeah, we're going to take this as a pub. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's Slainture or Slanchia or Sneetia. I don't know how you pronounce that in, um, in, uh, in Irish and Gaelic. It means testicle in Croatian. <laughs> I think it means cheers. I think it means good health. Uh, it's a pub on the Barony in New York City. I can't stop thinking of Sterling being crushed by Skirtle. Oh, it's awful. How many it's YouTube terrible... hits were they Is that a terrible way to go? Them? Or is it a fantastic way to go? Oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to do that takeover on May 11th. I've always wanted this die in my sleep, but I think I'm going to change that. We're doing it for free, Rod, as a thank you to GFOPs. But we are going to put up. We are going to put up a way that you can get in there and get on the list. So we don't have a U2 streets have no name scenario. Yeah, we're going to do that a little bit later. But it's a thank you. I can't wait. There are going to be a few surprises. Yep. that day. But it's going to be a thank you. Okay, cool. Um, Rog, Hull, nil, Arsenal, three. Uh, this is a preview of the FA Cup final, Rod. The most important trophy in world sport. Aaron Ramsey propels a born-again Arsenal ah, in a romp against FA Cup winners uh, in waiting, Hull City. <laughs> Arsene Wenger has one hand on his beloved fourth-place trophy. Oh, David, I've not rooted so hard for Hull since Philip Larkin was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. And they did. They made a go of it at the beginning, Hull. Shane Long wasted three great chances that played with all Everton fans' hearts and minds. But then Arsenal played with a passion of a team who mistakenly thought the FA Cup would actually be presented at the end of that game. Um, and this game is all about welcome back Aaron Ramsey. Welcome back awful, awful Aaron Ramsey celebrity death jokes. Poor oh. Ruben Hurricane Carter. Um, I say Ramsey's combination play with Meza Ozil. That was it. It gave him the menace and cunning that's just been invisible since the first couple of weeks of the season when he was going to be player of the season. And then he went down with the injury. And that, him coming back, it's actually bad for Arsenal fans to some degree. You start to get what-ifs creeping in. You get more what-ifs. By the way, I did love the commentator who confused the listening American hordes by declaring Aaron Ramsey. He shouted, Aaron Ramsey's got his pecker up. We've never received more tweets. People wanted to know, does getting your pecker up mean something different in England than it does in America? Um, well, all I can say is in England, it means to have your genitalia exposed in an aroused state. <laughs> so, I don't know what he's saying. Um, but Arsenal, they scored such Arsenal-y goals. Giroud oh, in the Oh, so arsenal They were so arsenal weren't yeah, they? Yeah, really arsenal And, you know, Ramsey chesting it down and then Podolsky. He's like a siege engine. They just trundle around into position to try and get his <laughs> left foot on the end it of the is. ball. It's... Smacking it in, his third goal of the week. Arsenal without Aaron Ramsey, Davey. Chelsea, 
without Hazard, a yeah. ring with a precious stone falling out of its setting. Yeah, very, very true. Chelsea managing quite well without Hazard today, going into the 88th minute, Rod, still nil-nil uh, Atletico Madrid. Of course, this means that Madrid will now score four in the final uh, two minutes plus injury time of this game. Uh, but yeah, amazing stuff. Man City three, Rog, West Brom, which Albion <laughs> one. David Silva's injury is the one bleak spot as Argentina... <laughs> What aside, a lively yet ineffective West Brom. Yeah, Argentina, Aguero, 16 goals in 17 starts. Another what if, Dave, for yeah. what ifists. Yeah. And then Silva. I Aguero's mean, injury. How? To what extent do you think that was a massive, massive moment this season? Enormous. Absolutely. If I'm a Manchester City fan, looking at my options after that, looking what he does when he went another player, Dave, along mm-hmm. with Ramsey, that at a certain point in the season. You had down as a certain lock to be a player of the year nominee. But another gentleman that was also massive for them, David Silva. He's had 24 games he's played in this season. Went down with another injury um, in this one. City have won just 58% of games without him. Another thing, what if, what if, what if. Um, City are six points behind Liverpool. They've got a game in hand. They've got superior goal difference. Liverpool five points ahead of Chelsea. Um, I think there's going to be no bigger Chelsea fans in the world than Manchester City supporters this weekend. Yeah, we will see. Sully yourself, David. Oh, well, let's take a look at the bottom of the table, Rog. Fabulous stuff. Sunderland. Six points cover the bottom six. I mean, just amazing. Really, you'd have to say that positions 15 through 20, I have to imagine that Hull and Swansea are safe. On 36 points right now. They might need a point or two, but you've got well, to think Boney M doing the business again. Sunderland, with their win, got up to 29 points. They're in 20th. Fulham in 19th place with 30 points. Cardiff by Spurs. Cardiff in 18th place. David Marshall standing on his head like Dominic Hasek. Norwich uh, in oh, 17th with 32 Norwich. They've got very tough fixtures coming up too. And West Brom, which Albion in 16th, 33. You know, Paul Lambert feeling slightly better, a little worried that he's, he's trying to suddenly speak all like that, pretending he's not Glaswegian. <laughs> yes, Paul Lambert here. Uh, uh, doesn't want to, anybody to know that he's also Scottish. Especially not the new anonymous American billionaires who are apparently standing by to waste their money <laughs> on the Midlands club. Why is no one buying Everton? We can discuss that. On another podcast. I'll say right down there though, Davo, Crystal Palace, their fifth straight win. Their next two games are at home. One is against Manchester City. The next is against Liverpool. Both of whom will not take Yannick Belasi and Jason Punchin um, lightly. So, Anthony Poulis, you are going to be this season's kingmaker. Yeah, fantastic season. Great for Palace fans. And Uh, welcome back, Burnley, to the Premier League. Welcome back, Burnley. Welcome back. We love Burnley. Back in Burnley and Leicester. It's like going back to the 1970s again, Roger. It is. Overachieving, economics-defying Burnley. What a gem. They're back. They've got a hard-pressing defensive steal. They've got a new manager, Sam Deitch. You're going to like him. This means if Aston Villa stay up... is the ginger Mourinho. If Aston Villa stay up, West Ham stay up, and Burnley, plus Palace... That's four teams that play in combinations of red and blue. An, ab- an abhorrence, a biblical abhorrence. Oh, very, very difficult. Very, very difficult stuff. OK, Rog, uh, 51 days till the World Cup. We're all very excited. Time to get your shots, David. We oh, need shots. You look serious, though. <laughs> yeah. You need to get them at least 52 days what before leaving. What shots do I need for Brazil? You need, I'm not quite sure, but I'm hoping there's a GFOP who, has a, who is a, actually a GP, GP. GFOP. <laughs> 
who can tell us. Oh, God. Find, tell us if we can have, take him, uh, take him anal, uh, the suppository. <laughs> I don't like the needle. Can we get them skirtled? <laughs> can we get our suppositories just skirtled into the back of our neck? Um, so, Rog, 51 days. Uh, you interviewed... Yeah. An American legend, we hope. The man whose poster is above my single bed. We hope, he hopes, uh, going to have a massive, massive uh, World Cup for him, Mr. Landon Donovan. We're delighted to welcome to the pod a bona fide American legend who's been a star since breaking onto the scene with the US Under-17 squad that finished fourth in the 1999 Under-17 World Championships. He's since gone on to become MLS's most dominant player, lending his skills to four different Major League Soccer teams, winning five MLS Cups in a remarkable 16-year career. And he's poised now to break the goal-scoring record, having already netted more national team goals than any other American, more World Cup goals than Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, and whomever Roy Hodgson picks for the English team this summer. His glorious loan spells at Everton, I've got to be honest, they're among the happiest moments of my own life birth of my own children and the US winning the 2014 World Cup apart. Welcome to the pod, Mr. Landon Donovan. Quite the intro, thank you. Oh, live from New York, Landon, I can almost smell your aftershave here. <laughs> You've, you are here at a remarkable time. You've netted 134 regular season goals in MLS. The next one will make you the league's highest ever scorer. Does the sensation of scoring a goal retain its thrill 16 years into a career? Uh, it does for me, and it's actually longer than that because it's been it's it's nostalgic for me every time. I can remember being seven, eight, nine years old and scoring a goal and the feeling that that brought. So um, every time I score, I sort of get that same reminiscent feeling, and um, it never goes away. I mean, let's talk about MLS. It's in a state of expansion right now. It's positively swelling. Manchester City, David Beckham, Yankees, Arthur Blank, everyone's jumping in. How did it feel for you when Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley and Moe Edu returned to MLS? Did you feel a sense of vindication as a gent who's been MLS to his court? Well, I think all of us that have been here for a long time and helped grow the game in our country um, are sort of feeling like it's about time and we've been we've been waiting for moments like this for a long time so um, we're certainly not the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga but we're on our way to being better and better all the time and when you add players like that when you have people like Arthur Blank like David Beckham like uh, the Man City ownership group want to be a part of the league i think that speaks for itself and and that tells you that this is a place that people want to be and that this is going to be very viable for a long time but personally when these gents return clint returning from tottenham michael returning from uh, from roma um morris adieu returning um uh, from rangers and stoke everyone kind of repatriated to mls so that you in a sense were no longer the kind of sole um poster boy for the league was that validating well it feels good that um one those guys want to be here and two that the league is spending the money necessary to bring them back you know for a long time i think the league would have loved to have players like that but they weren't ready and willing to spend the money necessary so 
Um, finally, we're to that point. I think we're at a tipping point in our league. It, it feels great for me. Um, I've long touted this league as a great place to be and a great place to play, and now um, other people see that as well, and I think it's exciting times for us. We've got a lot, a lot of questions from listeners, Landon, talking about your foray uh, into the Premier League. A lot of Everton fans at Kloss Green 12, one of them. How much does Landon keep up with Everton? Does he watch the games? Um, what are his thoughts on Everton's season and on David Moyes' first season and possibly, well, yeah, now, last season at Manchester United? Do, do you watch the games? I watch every weekend unless there's some some reason I can't, but I wake up at 7 a.m. on the West Coast and watch the games. Um, I've been following very closely, as I have for the last uh, four-plus years, and it's very exciting. It's exciting to see what's gone on. I think, obviously, Roberto Martinez has done a great job. Um, I'm still, you know, very fond of my time there with uh, the Everton people and also with um, the players. I know Tim Howard, obviously, very well. So it's exciting times for them. Obviously, a tough final three games, but uh, the hope is that there's a way to make it into Champions League. I know how much it would mean to all those players, Um I saw the game this weekend, and it's a little bit difficult for me to see what's gone on with David Moyes because uh, he was so instrumental in bringing me there. And um, without him, I wouldn't have had the chance to go there. So um, I think some of the criticism is a little unfair, and it, it's hard to watch that. But uh, he's a smart man and a very good manager, and I'm sure he will um, he will he will land on his feet and and do very well. If you're a betting man, Landon. Everton, the chances of them pipping Arsenal for that Champions League place, can we, can we fix some odds? Well, I think the, the Man City game will be telling. Um, certainly not an easy game, but at Goodison, anything's possible. And uh, a number of times over the years, Everton have beaten big teams, including last weekend beating Manchester United. So anything's possible there. I think if, if they win there, uh, they win that game, um, the chances go up significantly. Fourth World Cup this summer. So much for the US to prove. So much. Um, but they've been handed a Hunger Games of a challenge in the group stage. What's success in your mind for the United States team at this World Cup? I put us in the category of, you know, probably more than half the teams in the World Cup where you say advancing out of your group is is successful, especially given the group we have, um, and, but also with the belief that if and when we do uh, get out of our group that we're capable of beating any team in the world. Uh, there's a few teams that have the luxury of saying, you know, we should get to the quarterfinals or semifinals or final or even win the World Cup. There's only a few of those, and there's a handful of teams that really just a good, respectable showing is considered success, and, and the rest are sort of in the same type of, of area we are where um, if we play well and get on a good run, we have the capability to do something really special. I mean, you, you are coming off your best year in the team's history, but you're also coming out of CONCACAF, which is, I always think about it like a Star Wars bar. It's almost impossible to categorize against kind of the, the South American uh, region and the European region about how you do match up. How, how big a talent right. gap do you see 
between the US and teams like not just the Germany, Spain, Argentina, Brazils, but the Chile, the Belgians, in terms of a talent gap? Well, I don't see a big talent gap. Um, our, our region is different, and then the games in CONCACAF are much different than any other qualifying that that teams go through. So once you get through qualifying, you almost have to reassess and, and learn um, how to play a different way in the World Cup because the way you play in CONCACAF to get results is much different than the way you would play against Germany or Portugal or Ghana. So we've shown over the years that we have plenty of players that are capable of playing at a high level and playing at big teams around the world. Um, and when we come together, I think that's when we're at our best. So we're very capable, and, um, you know, time will tell what happens. I mean, is there a gap tactically, mentally? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think we all have played against um, big teams, big players, and we know we're capable of beating them. Um, I think we're experienced enough now where we can go into a game confident that we match up well um, against any team. And it doesn't mean you always win, but I think we feel like we have a real chance always. Well, what, what, when you look at this team, the 2014 edition, Landon, I mean, you've been through these cycles. This is your, your, your fourth World Cup cycle. What's different to this team than, say, the 2010 team as you, you match them up? I just think we're more experienced. And... We have guys who have played significant minutes in big games with a lot at stake around the world, and, and that had always been our uh, our downfall, is that we hadn't had enough guys with enough experience in real games to know how to win games like this. When you look at the, the rosters of Germany and Portugal, those guys have, have always played in big games their whole career, so they get to the World Cup, and it's sort of business as usual and, and in some ways we lacked in that way but now we have plenty of experience we have plenty of guys who know how to do that and so it gives us our I think I think our best chance for success I mean you've got a lot of experience you've also got some green shoots coming through um, in the Mexico game you welcome young Julian Green into the fold what kind of a signal does Julian's arrival at the squad at this stage send out to the team and how do you interpret it well it's clearly exciting for julian um i think it's exciting for the future of of u.s soccer that a player who's come up through one of the best team in the world's youth systems um, has chosen to play for us when he had a, a choice to play for other teams or for another team so that is very positive um Certainly, with the world getting smaller and smaller, we want that to happen more often going forward. Um, for him, he's still very young. Um, I haven't seen a lot of him. Uh, he hasn't played a ton of games, so it's going to take time to see how he pans out. But certainly, the first impressions are very good, and we'll see what happens. I mean, Jurgen's not told, or so he says, a single player that they've been guaranteed a place. Can, can you... When we hear that, it doesn't mean a huge amount to us, but how does it feel from a player's perspective? Do you, do you ever have a, a nightmare panic attack that, that you, Landon Donovan, are not going to be going to Brazil? Well, every coach is different. So in 2010, 
I think probably 16 or 17 guys knew they were going to South Africa. And there is a comfort in that, you know, and it's um, it helps you forget about all the other stuff and just focus on helping the team do well. Um, you know, Jurgen's strategy in that way is much different, and uh, we all understand that and we accept it. And um, he's going to choose the guys that, that uh, he thinks are most deserving um, when the final roster is announced. So it's going to make it competitive. Um, you know, it can put you at unease at times, but um, that's that's the way it is, and, and we all understand it very clearly, and we have to make the most of it. Well, when you look inside your own tank, Landon, and, and you consider the grind that is professional football, how long do you see that you've got left as a player? Well, there's the physical side and then there's the, you know, the mental, emotional side of it. Um, I think physically my body still feels good. Uh, Certainly not the same way it did when I was 20, but still good enough to compete at this level. I think mentally I'm still excited about playing. I still enjoy it. It's still enjoyable for me. Um, But we'll see. I mean, if I've always said if at any point it stops being enjoyable and I'm ready to to stop, then I will. And um, at this point, that's not, doesn't seem like it's in the near future. Um, and I'll just keep trying to enjoy it and then go from there. Did you have any regrets when you look back on your career about decisions that you, you didn't make? Um, my, I guess my only regret, and I'm, I'm still glad that it happened the way it did, um, I wish I had been more informed when I first started playing in Germany about what it would be like. I think that would have been a, a good, helpful way for me to endure it a little better. Um, but it worked out the way it was supposed to, and in the end, I'm very happy with how things went. Um, I just wish I had had a, a better mindset so I could understand that it was going to take some time. Um, perhaps I, ha- I would have liked to have had a mentor or someone to to help me better understand what it was about so I could have tried a little bit longer to make it work there. Well, what, what, was the, what was the major difference, the mindset change that could have occurred? I mean, chatting to the players who went over a little bit before you, but like Winalda talking just about how that golf, that mindset, how he would, you know, he, he missed a shot in a game, an easy goal, and he nervously smiled and his teammates went mad at him at half time and said, you know, if you don't score, we don't win. If we don't win, we don't get paid. And he was like, wow, that is a wildly different reality to the America that he'd been used to. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Well, most players experience that at some point because when you're young, um, it's, you've been a star your whole life. It's been only fun and not a job. Um, and you do hit a realization where you understand that this is people's livelihood. And so it, it does take on a different meaning at that point. Um, the irony, of course, is that most players would tell you they play best when they're just playing like they did when they were a kid, when they're enjoying <laughs> it, when all the stress goes away. So it's a part of it. Um, it's a part every, I think, young player deals with. Um, and I certainly did, too. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things, speaking to you and interviewing you over the past couple of years that I found most fascinating. I mean, talking to you about the passion that is football and the job 
to this football. And so many of us fans look at football as just this passion. But from a player's perspective, it does become a job. And when you were going through your transitional phase, when you decided that you needed a break, I mean, I wrote a piece where I said anyone, I think, will be able to relate to this, not just footballers, not even football fans, but anyone who's been doing a job for a long time will relate to what you were going through and what you were talking about. What's the most important lesson, the most important life lesson that you think you carry with you from your break in Cambodia? Well, for me, in that way, life is very simple. Um, You have to be happy and you have to enjoy life. Um, I think we're not here very long. And so if, if you're not happy... Um, there's no real point. So I I was at a place where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Um, it felt too much like a job, and I wasn't happy. And my my personal life was suffering. My my life, my friends, my relationships with friends and family was suffering. And I needed a break, and I needed to get away. And uh, like you said, probably a lot of people feel that way at some point. Um, you know, in some ways, I feel fortunate that. I was in a place where I was able to take a break, but when I also think about it, I think um, if if you're passionate enough about it, then anybody can can do that, and um, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should, but if if you're feeling that way, then uh, I think it's important to do what makes you happy. Is there a moment that you go back to when you need to draw on it, Landon? Well, I think the whole experience was good for me. Um, Not only did I, I mean, a lot gets made about the Cambodia trip, but I also had a lot of time to spend with my family that Mm -hmm. I hadn't had in 15-plus years. Um, I saw um, more distant relatives that I hadn't seen in a long time. I spent time with my immediate family, um, my nephew, my sister, my brother, my parents. Uh, people that I hadn't spent that kind of time with in a long time. So all of that was very important to me. I mean, it's a great message to hear today. The Boston Marathon is running on a television behind me. Reminder that life is fleeting and uh, all of us have to make, I think, the best of every minute. You do a lot of quiet work that I think goes unheralded. Um, can you tell us about the, the work you're doing with the National Skin Cancer Foundation and the story behind it? Because... We've got a young audience that I think is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, so a lot of years ago, um, my dad was diagnosed with skin cancer. And at the time, um, as it should be, it was incredibly scary for him and for all of us. Um, And fortunately, he caught it early enough and was okay. But when I reflected on it, I've spent most, most of my life in the sun. And unfortunately, didn't spend a lot of time learning or educating myself about the dangers of the sun. So I had an opportunity um, over a year ago now to partner with the Skin Cancer Foundation and Energizer Personal Care, which are the people that make Banana Boat and Hawaiian Tropic. And they came up with some creative ways to help educate men on how important it is to protect yourself from the sun. And... Um, obviously, in this instance, um, sunscreen is the sort of um, quick answer that most people want to hear, but it's it's also about common sense. And I think if I had known some of these things growing up, it would have been really helpful. Um, maybe just wearing a hat when I went outside or 
putting on more clothing. Um, we spent a lot of time at the beach growing up, obviously on a soccer field. Um, on a soccer field, you clearly need to wear something because you don't have the ability to, to cover up with clothing or an umbrella or a hat. But um, I, I wish I would have had that knowledge, and this is something I'm very passionate about and something I want to spread to other people, um, uh, particularly men in this country who have sort of a, I think, a macho take on, on what sunscreen is and De- what it should Def, be. I'm, so. As a ball bloke with a nasty sunburn from playing football all weekend in the surprise New York City sunland, and I wish we'd had you on last week instead of this week. We are, we're grateful for your advice. I have to say, we wish you Godspeed as you approach the uh, MLS goal-scoring record. It is a remarkable feat, one that no doubt you will take uh, in your stride. Good luck for the season with the Galaxy ahead and, of course, the U.S. men's national team as they journey to Brazil. Landon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So what do you think, Rog? Do you think he's going to make the team? Absolutely and completely, David. You do? No doubt. Not a shadow of doubt in your mind. You know, what do they say about the Tower of London? Yeah. If a raven, if it, if the ravens leave the Tower of London, the place yeah. will fall down. Uh huh. I can't imagine USA victory at the 2014 World Cup without London, without St. Landon. Yeah, maybe not. Um, well, talking of ravens, Rog, from Bruce Langacre the second. What a fantastic American name. He's from Sacramento, California, USA. Hello, lads. With only uh, two matches left for the mighty Lake Norian in League One, I would have hoped you guys could keep your listeners up to date with the club's status. Status. The boys got the 75 points that Sabari asked for, but look like they will not get the automatic promotion spot and will be in the playoffs. Could you give us a weekly update of the Mighty O's, perhaps a quick recap of the table, what Orient needs, and a one-liner of some sort from Sabari himself, maybe a tweet of the week from him. Come on, you O's. From a loyal GFOP. Oh, David. We need to get Russell Slade, the manager, on. He's meant yeah. to be a remarkable bloke. I'll say, America's team, had a, they've had a patchy win. Yeah. They lost their whole goalkeeper. They reclaimed their cult hero goalkeeper who'd been on loan, Eldin Jakopovic. Yeah. Um, and things have gone a little pear-shaped. They've won just two of their last ten down the stretch. They are guaranteed a playoff place. So they'll be playing in that kind of knockout round against Rotherham, Preston, uh, and Peterborough will be their rivals. Oh, if but they, it's all from up north. A Wembley date will await if they get through that first round. And oh, we well, will Peterborough's not really up north. It's north of London. We will be. Peterborough's one of those cities I have no idea where the hell it is. Yeah. So Barry did fill it in with yeah. his one-liner that he wanted to address all Men in Blazers listeners with. Here we go. Read them out in your very, in your very best very accent, David. At many blazers. If sport was normal and resources alone were the criteria for success, we have no chance. But fortunately, sport is abnormal. And if it comes down to passion and heart, we've got a great chance. Believe in us, at men in blazers. Oh, David. Not if, in the face. If Leighton Orient go to Wembley for yeah. that playoff final, we will be there. We will broadcast yeah. live from there. That'll be brilliant. By the way, Chelsea just seconds, seconds away from uh, getting out of Madrid with a nil-nil draw, Rog. Mm-hmm. Very, very good result. Yep, for both teams. Yeah. Very good result. For, you don't let in the away goal. Yeah, that's very, very You're true. You're very, very true. And they have more minutes. If it's nil-nil, they're going to have even more minutes uh, over there. We'll see. I think that's an advantage for Chelsea, going back to Chelsea personally. I think that's a good result. Chelsea fans certainly looking very happy and not that attractive right now, <laughs> celebrating. Um, 
Rog, this is what your weekend looks like. Southampton versus Everton on Saturday, April 26th, 7.45 a.m. NBC Sports Network. The big one. Man United versus Norwich on Saturday, April 26th, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, NBC Sports Network. Liverpool versus Chelsea. Huge game. Sunday, April 27th at 9.05 a.m. Eastern Time, NBC Sports Network. And then Arsenal versus Newquay on uh, Monday, April 28th. That is not a football schedule day. That is an orgy fit for Roger Stilling. I'm going golfing this weekend, going my annual trip down to Kiowa Island, South Carolina. Players dropping like flies. It's never happened before on golf trip, Rog. One of our mates stuck in Colombia where he's hunting down bad guys. Uh, one of our mates has got uh, some, 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 some things going on that he co- must attend to back in the UK. So it's going to be a slightly smaller golf trip than usual. But I'm going I to love be South Carolina. Angeles, I love Charleston. I'm going to be making this US sockumentary. The oh. sockumentary. And then I'm going to meet you in Los Angeles next week yep. where we're doing a special, uh, special uh, for Grantland. Actually going to be video. Uh, don't stand too close to the screen. No podcast next week because we're recording this new thing for Grantland. Right, Rog? Yeah, secret. Many ways to connect to us. One is our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items big or small, just click off the Emporium page. And Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. Support this podcast, please. Please. In its honour, we birth the feature Emporium Choices of the Week in which we will both post what we were reading, listening to, or watching. Rog, what did you put in the Emporium this week? I put a book I've just read and loved by a remarkable bloke, Fernando Duarte, Uh the most famous Brazilian journalist in Brighton. I love a Fernando. Um, I just shot him for the World Cup, the Brazil World Cup movie we're making. Uh-huh. He is a hilarious, gorgeous, just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And he's written a beautiful book called Shocking Brazil, Six Games That Shook the World Cup, where he talks about how Brazil, we talk about them as the beautiful team, but they've actually been forged by defeat. And he analyzes the six games that he believes shaped this team, starting uh, with the 1950 uh, World Cup loss, remarkable, beautifully told story of Barbosa. And he walks you through the transition between old and new, beauty and pragmatism, myth, reality, purity and commercialism that really is just the juxtaposition of Brazilian football. I, I thought it was beautiful. I had absolutely nothing to do this weekend, Rog, so I read a book, uh, did, caught up on some of my light reading, and I actually reread one of my favourite books What's ever. That? I love Woodhouse. <sighs> I know for you it's light reading. For me, that's re- pretty heavy stuff. At age nine, I read nothing else, David. P.G. Oh, Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse. The man who said I that at the age of 11 Woodhouse. or thereabouts, women acquire a poise and an ability to handle difficult situations, which a man, if he's lucky, manages to achieve somewhere in the later 70s. Yeah, my favourite books, I, you know, the, the, the Jeeves and Worcester books are amazing. How <sighs> about you and me? Yeah, sort of. But I often prefer the butler. The butler. I often prefer the, the non. I prefer some of the non-Jeeves and Worcester uh, Woodhousean uh, books. The Luck of the Bodkins I've put in the uh, in, in the in the Amazon Emporium, Rod. It has what I believe to be one of the greatest opening sentences in the history of the English language. Go on. Into the face of the young man who sat on the terrace of the Hotel Magnifique at Cannes, there has crept a look of furtive shame. The shifty, hangdog look which announces that an Englishman is about to talk French. (laughs) So (laughs) genius and so true. Uh, I love it. Fantastic book. Pick that up. Read some Woodhouse. You'll understand a little bit more about England. Sounds like the beginning of Joey Barton's autobiography. Well, not Joey Barton's England, (laughs) but uh, of England. Oh.
And new listeners, uh, download our best of album, top the comedy charts on iTunes before Christmas. At what point are we going to stop talking about that? The original Christmas, when yeah. Jesus was first born. Yeah, big time. Men in Blazers unbuttoned. Easter, now, everybody. that's what I call suboptimal. Uh, you can uh, visit us at meninblazers.com. You can follow us at Twitter, at Embassy Davis, at Roger Bennett, at Men in Blazers. Uh, like us on Facebook. Send emails to meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Great to see so many ravens oh, arriving. Amazing. So many ravens and about we are, the Moyes situation. We are so sorry that we're not going to be podding next week. We feel bloody awful, but please look out. We'll announce next week the full details of our pub takeover. Big, big thank you to all of our listeners and a real time to come together and, and congregate and commute. Vanderpunk Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex my tumble? Oh, feral donkeys, David. Courage. Size the day! Is that your analysis? Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, David. Love you, Rog. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.